What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to Felony Friday, a weekly show here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here on Felony Friday, each and every single week, we shine a light on stories of injustice, We look in the areas, in the corners, we look under the carpets, we look behind the drapes to find the places where your general mainstream media has failed to cover these stories. And this week, oh, we got a story for you, my friends, and I don't want to give too much away, but if you've listened to this show for quite a while, you know that I have interviewed quite a few uh, nonviolent offenders, people with conspiracy convictions, marijuana convictions, cocaine, whatever, trafficking drugs, all that stuff. I have interviewed some violent felons, for sure. I haven't interviewed a convicted murderer. Today, that's going to change. We always talk about uh, the need for a second chance. And today is an excellent story talking about someone who took advantage of that second chance. And I will introduce my guest in just a moment here. Before I do that, I want to let you know that longtime listeners of this show know that this is only one show that we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. We also have... Every Monday, a show hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark typically interviews leaders in the liberty movement. From time to time, he will host a roundtable discussion known as Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, where Mark and sometimes myself and sometimes Brian McWilliams or Howie Snowden or J.B. Lubin or Rico will join to talk about current events and politics and just general crazy stuff and Of course, enjoy some uh, adult beverages while we talk through uh, the current events. It's a great time. Check it out. If you haven't listened to one, go back, search on our website, and find one. It's a great place to start if you're a new listener. On Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams. Brian hosts a very fun show. Um, He's a comedian, so he's a funny guy. And he focuses, for the most part, on culture, comedy, and, of course, liberty. I mean, you can't have a show on Lines of Liberty without focusing on liberty. And Brian does a fantastic job with all three. You can get all three of these shows delivered to your phone. It's crazy, I know, without doing anything. You subscribe one time on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or wherever the heck, whatever podcast catcher you use to get your podcast. Just subscribe and it gets delivered immediately. You don't have to think about it. You just start your car up, you drive to work, you hit the button, press play, bam. You're enjoying a fantastic show like this one today. And even if you don't uh, listen through Apple or Stitcher, please consider going to those sites. And if you enjoy the show, uh, give us a five-star rating and a review because, you know, you might not like it. You might not like to listen on uh, on those apps, but they are the biggest apps and they do control the, the charts, the popularity charts. So that does help us with the algorithm to get us up the charts. So we appreciate any help you can give us there. Today's episode of Felony Friday is the 118th episode. That means you'll be able to find the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF118. Just one more quick note. I want to ask you guys a question. Are you a member of the Lions of Liberty Forum? Oh, that's right. You can't you can't answer me. It's just me talking. Okay. Um, I'm going to assume some of you said no. And I'm going to why would you not be? Because it's a great place to First of all, learn about the ideas of liberty if if you're a newbie. It's a great place to teach others about the ideas of liberty in a respectful way. And it's a great place just to converse and uh, test your own ideas. We have a very open dialogue in the Lions of Liberty Forum, a lot of supportive people. We don't have shit posters or trolls doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And that's not really because we've had to kick people out. It's just kind of organically built that way. So it's a nice little sane corner of uh, the Facebook world. So please come join us. Go to Facebook, type Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top. Click join. There's one question to answer. And uh, it asks, where you, where'd you hear about us? And you can just say, John Odermatt on Felony Friday told me about the Lions of Liberty Forum. And we'll get you in immediately. 
if not sooner, guys. So let's get rolling with this show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Terrell Burton Sr. Terrell is the founder of True Change, which is a nonprofit organization that promotes stability and guidance to inner city at-risk youth and families by providing resources and education. The goal is to help these individuals build a foundation for self-betterment, achievements, and a positive lifestyle change. In 2003, Terrell made a mistake and angered a rival gang. Things escalated and he found himself responsible for the death of another man. Terrell was sentenced to 30 years in prison and he utilized his time in prison to better himself. Um, he went to, he educated himself at Northeastern Junior College. He found solace in religion and in the thought of coming home to his daughter and son one day, no matter how many years that would be. Mr. Burton spent 13 years in prison. A week before he was released, a rival gang member, rival gang members shot and killed his 18-year-old son. Now he has to live for his son and as well as well his daughter and two grandsons. Now Terrell has acted as a motivational speaker, and he said that his hope is that in talking about his struggles and triumphs, he'll be able to give some guidance and uh, the need to turn away from the path that he took. So Terrell, thank you so much for coming on Felony Friday. You're very welcome. Thank you. This show, the format of this show really is all about you having the opportunity to to share your story. And I know you've been through a lot. You've experienced a lot in your lifetime. And I want to get to all that. I give you the opportunity to talk about True Change, which is the, uh, the, non- the nonprofit that you founded. Talk about your experiences in the criminal justice system and the uh, bad decisions that you made that led you down that path. But before we get started talking about that, just to give my audience a chance to get to know you a little bit better as a person and uh, you know where you came from, where you grew up, if you could just start out by just sharing sort of your background, you know, what your life was like uh, you know, before you ended up going to prison. Okay. Hello, everybody. Like you said, my name is Terrell LeVar Burton Sr., um, as far as my life goes, I was born and raised in Denver, Colorado, in a five point. I come from a family of seven brothers and four sisters, a single mother with a stepfather. My life, it started, I started uh, gangbanging at about 14 uh, because my brothers and I have a huge family. We decided that, you know, why go out and recruit other people outside when we have seven brothers of our own? We can start our own gang. Well, it kind of started off as just a family thing and everybody meeting up together. And over the years, it just spiraled out of control. And I'm no longer a gang member. I'm no longer active, but the gang is still fully active right now. And it's, wow, over the years, it's really uh, almost quadrupled. Uh, we started this gang in my mother's backyard, actually, on 35th and Williams. Um, again, like I said before, it was just... A family thing and it turned out something totally different well uh in about 2002 my twin brother and i were really close well he was uh, drinking and driving and he got into a horrible car accident there were five people in his car he was the only one who had the seatbelt on and he was the only one who died in that accident three of the pe- three of the five people in the car actually went through the windshield it was that big of an impact and they're still here today. I took my twin brother's death extremely, extremely hard. That was my best friend. Uh, he took a lot of stuff to his grave with him. I mean, that's the life that we were living. Uh, for myself, I took his death hard. The first time I ever dealt with death like that, that close. And I went off the deep end. I started gangbanging more. I started abusing drugs. Uh, I pushed so many people away from me. That following year, in about 2003, uh, I got into an altercation with a rival gang member. And one thing led to another. It escalated outside and shots were fired. And unfortunately, I took the life of another young man. And going through the trials and tribulations, they ended up giving me 30 years for second degree murder. And... I thought my life was over. I was 24 years old. And the last thing I remember the judge saying was, you know, I hope that you 
change your ways and I hope that you come out a better man. But I'll see you when you're 54. So as a 24 year old man, why well, I said 24 year old child, because I was my mind was wasn't even there on a mature level. I just thought that, you know, I'm in prison for the next 30 years. I mean, from 24 to 54, that's 30 years. I mean, I didn't understand the system. I had never been in trouble before. I had never been into into the penal system before. Um, I didn't realize that once you actually get sentenced and you go to DOC, Department of Corrections, your sentence is actually somehow cut in half. So basically what that means is I'm able to go up for parole in half of my sentence. So if I had a 30 year sentence, I'm able to go up for parole in 15. That's due to me not getting into no institutional violence or any type of trouble. So with that being said, the first few years was rough for me in prison. Really, really rough. Again, I was still immature. I was still hot headed. I was still gangbanging. I mean, they're fighting institutional violence, whatever it may be. It's for the first couple years because I had left not only, you know, my family out, but I left two children out. At that time, my son was six and my daughter was four. So I made a huge mistake. And, you know, that's my family. That's what I left out there. And I beat myself up for so many years for that because I was better than that. And I knew that. But at the end of the day, I didn't have that type of guidance around me. I didn't have that type of support around me at that time to say, OK, look, Terrell, you're going down the wrong path. Go this way, because at the end of the day, this is where you're headed, either prison or death. And without no one telling me, I ended up going to prison. So I made the conscious decision in prison to change my life, to change my ways. I said, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I get out now. In 10 years, five years, or I do the whole 30-year sentence, I will come out a different man. So w- was there one one event or did you have an epiphany? W- what made you change? Well, to be quite honest with you, man, my daughter, she she was watching uh, this show called National Geographic. And I called her one day and she cried. And she said, I'm like, well, what's wrong? And she started off the conversation crying. She was like, I believe at the time she was about eight or nine. She says that uh, I don't want you to get killed in prison. And as a father, that that resonated with me so hard. It was so deep because this is my seven, eight year old daughter who couldn't wait for me to call because I called her about maybe once or twice a week. So obviously she'd been holding on to this, waiting to talk to her dad. And I called every week when I was in prison. And she told me that she was like, Dad, I don't want you to die in prison. I don't want you to get killed in prison. I'm like, well, where would this come from? Why would you think that? She seen the show Nat Geo and there was some violence that happened inside the same facility that I just happened to be in at that time. So in my daughter's young mind, she was thinking, well, my dad is there. I don't want that to happen to my dad. So when I called, she was like, well, I don't want you to, you know, die in prison. I want you to make it home. So I was like, well, baby girl, I promise you. That I won't let nobody stop me from coming home to y'all. And I told her then at eight, I'll be home before you graduate. So fast forward, I've educated myself. I became a certified welder in prison. I've educated myself uh, culinary arts. I got over 2,300 hours in culinary arts. Um, I got numerous, numerous different programs that I've educated myself with while I was inside of prison, which got me to the point of where I am now, because I knew that no matter how long I spend in prison, after I come home, nothing's going to be the same. I mean, when I went to prison, it was just flip phone, flip, flip phones and camera phones. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So by the time I come home, everything has changed. But I knew this. I knew that everything would change. So I didn't want to be that 40 year old man flipping burgers. I said, you know what? I have to get some type of trade up under my belt because this is where it's going to start. No one's going to hand me anything. And I knew this and I'm not looking for a handout. So I was grateful. And I'm th- I thank God that I actually took that two year course and became a certified welder in prison. So in September, or I believe, believe September or January of 2015, I went up for parole for the first time. I was 12 years in. Long story short, they told me that it wasn't enough time. Obviously not on a 30 year sentence. So in my case, because it was second degree murder, they could have either set me back for parole. Three years, five years or one year. Well, by the grace of God, they only set me back one year because I went in there 
I was prepared. I went in there. I showed them all my accolades and everything that I've been doing in prison. I also wrote a letter to the victim's family. Now, I'm not exactly sure how it works now, but there's uh, there there really can't be any contact, you know, with the families unless it's agreed upon. Mm -hmm. So anyway, long story short, I wrote a letter every time to the victim's family because I've always been remorseful. I've never not been remorseful for what took place that night. So I wrote a letter the first time and the parole board asked you, do you have anything to say? Of course. Now, me reading my letter, I didn't know if the victim's family would hear it. I didn't know who would hear it. All I knew is that I felt better. It was cathartic for me by sh letting them know how remorseful I was for taking the life of their loved one. Well, the first letter I wrote, I wrote a totally different letter for that next year parole because they only sent me back for a year, which is grateful because the men that were going in before me was getting set back five years or three years, which means you don't have any kind of action until that five years is over. Then you can put back in for parole or the halfway house or stuff like that. So when I got that year set back, it gave me hope because mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of men left out of there with no hope at all. When you get a five year setback, it's like you can't do anything for five years. So the, the 2016, I go up and by the grace of God, they overlooked my my case and they said, you know what? I got paroled. Um, I was working over in culinary arts inside a Sterling Correctional Facility and I got a call from the chaplain's office. Um, you know, most people know that have been in prison that when you get a call from the chaplain's office, it's usually something bad or, you know, it's some news that you don't want to hear. So I go to the chaplain's office and, you know, unfortunately, the chaplain had to tell me that my 18 year old son was shot and killed. And it was shocking because I didn't believe it, to be quite honest with you, like I didn't believe it at all. So, you know, it didn't hit me. To maybe a few days later and this was a week before i was supposed to come home for you know my son was so anxious he couldn't wait to see me so i get paroled and the first week out everything is different i spent 13 years in prison so i everybody looks different the neighborhood looks different it was very gentrified as far as from when i went to prison until now it's very gentrified how, which how i like so, it how so what's a, what's an <coughs> example of something that changed uh, let me see an example. There's more. It was more minorities, uh, Hispanics and blacks that live down in the neighborhood in the five points neighborhood. Now it's more uh, Caucasian, more whites than there are African-Americans and Hispanics. It's more gentrified and it's better that way because it's not as much violence down in the neighborhood that I grew up in known for violence. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So. It's a good thing. And I was I'm thankful for that because I'm comfortable, more comfortable now with my grandkids and my kids walking down in the neighborhood down there. So the first week out of prison, it was hard. It was rough. Everybody was expecting me. To so be were, the same were you, sorry to interrupt again. That's why I make sure I get, I get this right. So you released your own parole. Did you go into yes. a halfway house or? No, 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 no. I paroled to my mother's house. So the halfway house they shut me down maybe three or four times they just did not want me to go to the halfway house which i think is better because at the end of the day you kind of got more leeway on parole than you would be in the halfway house if that makes any sense so I'm, I'm, i was grateful that i got paroled i paroled to my mother's home so the first week out fresh out i had to plan a funeral uh everything was different i didn't know nobody i didn't I, honestly i didn't trust nobody i mean i don't know what the situation was with my son but People that knew me before I went to prison, they expected me. They just knew like, OK, we know him regardless of how many years he did, how changed he say he is. This was his son. We know how he acted for a family member back in the day. So how would he not act the same way for his own child? And so many people were expecting me to come out and get vengeance and revenge for my son. And that was the last thing on my mind, because my son didn't know that person. He only heard of that person. So I would always tell my son I would never call him by his moniker. I would always call him Junior because his name was Terrell LeVar Burton Jr. I would never call him by his moniker because I didn't ever want him to think that it was okay for me that he was out there following my footsteps and wanting to be in the game. So I always trying to pull him towards me and other people was pulling him towards the game. So that week, it was rough. The funeral, we went through the funeral and it was hard and 
it was just so many people that was literally watching me, you know, with a magnifying glass. Like we know everything that happened in the neighborhood after that, everybody was questioning what did, you know, did he have something to do with that? You know what I'm saying? And nothing. I had nothing to do with nothing. And I was actually pulling these young brothers away from wanting to go and retaliate because that wouldn't have changed anything. It wouldn't have brought my son back. It definitely wouldn't change the fact that it that the situation happened that night. So what is me or anybody else going to retaliate going to do? That's only going to cause more pain and more heartache and more sadness. That's it. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's where I was. And I was content with that. So I ended up joining the program about a week after my son's funeral. And I was I knew that I needed assistance. So. I ended up going down to the food stamp office because, again, I had nothing. I'm fresh out 13 years. Um, I met a lovely lady by the name of Miss Cordelia. She was passing out flyers to a program called uh, Upstream Impact. And I had no idea what it was, but it said something about a stipend. It said something about teaching you about computers, teaching you resumes. And all that sounded good to me because at the end of the day, I still needed a job. It don't matter what I have and what type of accolades and vocational training I have. I still got to prove myself when I'm out here on the streets after spending 13 years in prison. So I took the flyer and out of 50 people, everybody in that room was in there looking for assistance. Out of 50 people in that room, I took the flyer. I was the only everybody took a flyer. I'm the only one that showed up. And that that it kind of it amazed me that, you know. Here we are, 50 people in a room, men and women, most of them probably fresh out of the, uh, prison, are looking for assistance by wanting to go get food stamps from the government. But yet there's an opportunity saying, here, I'm going to pass out this flyer. Just come to the program. It's a year program. Uh, when you get done, we place you in job placement. Uh, I'm basically almost anything you need, but it teaches you life skills as well. I'm the only one that showed up. Well, fast forward, I ended up graduating valedictorian from this program and i also got a great paying job uh making great money as a welder uh i my welds speak for themselves and i've been at the same job now going on a couple years now same job since i've been out of prison so did did the program actually place you in the job directly or just help you interview yes stuff like that. yes yes they actually place me in the job directly exactly you're right and that's exactly what they do i mean some of them it's like a hit and miss so if one situation don't work they move on to the next it's a great program hands down so uh hey, just, a, just a quick question about the welding you said you mm-hmm. you, know, you learned while you were incarcerated how yes, many sir. people took part in in that program in prison to learn how to uh weld? let me see that class held a class of about, I think about 15, maybe give or take. And I think it's about a year and a half, a two year program. And it's actual credits from uh, North junior high. I mean, North junior college, Northern, I want to say it's Northern, uh, Northern junior. It's in Sterling somewhere out there, but it's actual college credits as well. It's a college course that we take inside of prison. Yes. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's just pretty cool. I mean, to have a, a skill. I mean, that's that's a, a real skill. Learning how to weld. I mean, that's oh, something man. you can come out and as long as you can find a job, which you, you know, join mm-hmm. that program and you know we're proactive and you know self actualized to make that d- decision to get that yes, uh, join the program. It's. Uh, I mean, I think that's something in prison that we need more of. Right. I mean, we need to teach more trades. We need more people coming out of prison ready to, you know, be electricians or plumbers or, or welders. I mean, there's, I don't know. Um, you know, obviously it's hard to teach technology, I think in prison because it, it just moves so fast. I mean, exactly. there's new stuff coming out every, every month it's changing it, but I'm sure it's a little bit, a little bit they could do better to get people up to speed so they can actually make a phone call when they come out. But yeah, you're right. So w- what was the biggest obstacle for you? Uh, in your opinion, when you came out of prison? Mm, honestly, finding a job because for me, literally, I think I want to say, well, let me take that back. I started doing asbestos removal, but it took me three or four months to find that job. And that's one of the worst jobs you can ever do. Trust me, it's horrible. You're in a Tyvek suit, 100 degree weather inside a building that's wrapped up in plastic. It's horrible. So imagine it being 100 degrees outside, that means it's about 130 degrees inside of 
a house covered in plastic that we have to strip down from asbestos. So that was, I mean, I had to do what I had to do. Mm-hmm. But shortly after that, after completing the program, I was placed in another job and I actually worked for a sign company called Art Craft Signs. And we actually build signs for all the parks in Denver, Colorado. So Denver Parks and Recs, any green sign that you see for the parks, we've actually built that. We, we, our company actually built them personally. Cool. So it's good to drive around the neighborhoods and say, hey, I actually put every weld on that sign right there. And it's good to see my work around the city of Denver. Yeah, that's really neat. So outside of finding a job, has, has the felon label, has that impacted you, you know, finding a place to live, finding housing? Man, you have no idea. Yes, it did. As far as living goes, I didn't know that a landlord can actually charge you whatever they want for a deposit. Well, basically, I was charged about maybe for one bedroom. It was a $2,000 deposit because of my felony record. So that was 2000 on top of the first month's rent. But I needed a place, though. So I went on and did I, I, I did what I had to do. And I came up with the money and it was rough and it was hard. But at the end of the day, it was my own place. So, yeah, it is. People say, you know, the, you redefine print and it says, OK, we only go back seven years. OK, well, I'm an honest person. Very honest. So sometimes my honesty kind of bites, bites me, you know, because I'm so honest. So um, I would explain on my applications okay well they say we only go back seven years for a felony it doesn't matter okay they scratch that so then they go into the questions of well why did you go to prison and i tell them well second degree murder i've had applications ripped up in my face because i was honest and other people will be like well why don't you just don't explain that part okay so then what happens when i get six months down the line and i've been on the job for this long and they come back and say hey uh why didn't you tell us you went to prison for second degree murder because at the end of the day, I didn't want to not get the job, but then I don't want that to come back up later on saying you lied to us. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, really, it's a it's the stigma associated with really the, the felon label, really any felony, if it's if it's violent or not. Um, yeah. There's just a lot of employers out there, a lot of people who own apartment buildings or you know complexes that. I mean, no matter what, if they see that, they uh, it's a red flag right away. And I mean, I, I hadn't heard that before about um, raising up the the down payment to get to get a place. That's crazy. Um, I have no idea. But no I mean, idea. It, and that's that's something I've put a lot of thought into. Uh, and th- there's got to be some sort of solution because everyone that I talk to that has a felony deals with this same thing. It's one, I mean, finding a place to live and you got to find a place to live to be in order to get back on your feet, be successful, mm-hmm. contribute to society. Um, there's got to be, you know, some sort of solution that we can come up with to, to actually put something in action. I mean, because people are coming out of prison. I mean, whether, you know, th- there's people, whether we like it or not, there's people who are going to be, you know, when they hear someone's in prison or somebody has a felony background, they're, they're going to, there's a stigma and they're going to run away from it, but that's not going to stop it from happening. I mean, it's, it's still going to happen and it needs to happen. Um, and we need to find a place to make it easier to integrate back into society. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's definitely, definitely a, a big issue. And I know that you're, I mean, you're doing some stuff with your organization, true change. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, first of all, what's what's the mission there? What's the reason uh, why you started that? Okay, so before we go to get to there, when I, you were talking about the job situation, well, yeah, it was so hard for me to find a job that I actually started my own business. I own my own company. It's called Burton Welding and Fabrications. Um, I knew that at the end of the day, it was so hard for me to find a job that I didn't want that to be an excuse for either other felons or I want to give them a chance because I was given a second chance. So this is why I started my own business. And I'm grateful for that, that I started, I actually started two businesses in the same year and I got my 501c3 and my business within the same month. So it was a whole lot going on last year and now everything is going, coming into fruition this year. So I just wanted to share that man, that, you know, after being out for matter of fact, March the 15th, was the day I got out of prison. So it was literally two years ago, five days ago, when I got out of prison. Mm-hmm. March the 9th, and March the 9th was my son's anniversary, death anniversary. He got killed March the 9th of 2016. 
Yeah. So, yeah. So as far as uh, the reason why, you know, we started the nonprofit was because I was really, really, really trying to get home to my son. And I wasn't able to get home to my son and pull him away from that life. Um, so we came up with a true change, my wife and I. And her brother was killed about a year ago, gang violence. And we both came together and was like, you know what, this is what this is. Uh, when I was in prison, I had a diary. And I wrote down uh, a lot of different things that I wanted to do that I thought were great ideas. I spoke on these things. I'm talking about every day. I spoke on these things for five years straight. And to be quite honest with you, everything that I wrote on that list from getting married all the way down to businesses, nonprofits, everything is came to fruition. I believe in speaking things into existence. And I did that for five years straight before I got out of prison. And, you know, my wife and I talk about this, this a lot. Like we literally got this out framed, so to speak, of everything that I had wrote down in prison 10 years ago and everything right now to this day has came into fruition. So for me, I believe in the power of the tongue. I believe in speaking things into existence. I believe in writing things out, speaking on it, speaking life into it. And that's exactly what I did in my situation. And I'm thankful right now. Yeah. There's definitely something about, you know, affirmations about writing. So when you write something down, it's real. I mean, I, I always struggle with just trying to plan out what I'm going to do today. If mm -hmm. I think in my mind, I need to do this, then this, then this, then this, maybe I'll get two of those things done. But if I actually write it down and say, okay, I need to do this and this, and in order to do this, I have to do this first, I got a, a much better chance of getting it done. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in not only just writing down your, your goals, but in affirmations and you know, saying, I, I will accomplish this you know, in this time frame, I think that's huge. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, I mean, you know, that's basically why the organization was formed was because of our lost loved ones. And we also feel like, you know, we come from that same community and there's not nothing that I don't think I can not tell somebody that I, I haven't already been through. I've been through the gangs. I've been through losses. I've been through violence. I've been through prison. I've been through loss. I've been through pretty much almost everything. And I'm still here walking and breathing. So, you know, our purpose and our mission for a true change, our core mission is just basically to provide stability and guidance to inner city at-risk youth and families by providing outreach support, community resources, at-risk mentoring, and comprehensive, comprehensive excuse me, community-based programming in order to create a memorable, memorable but yet successful service that will far exceed our community's expectations. A true change purpose is to specialize in transforming the lives of emotionally undeveloped, uneducated, rebellious, at-risk youth that come from unbroken homes, from broken homes, gang-infested, improvised communities. The direct connection we provide to at-risk youth, their infested, improvised communities. I believe that we inspire them to operate at their highest potential and educate on how to maintain a structured and positive, healthy lifestyle. Now, see, I wasn't there to be, I can talk to my son and I can write letters, but it don't matter how many times I talk to my kids, how many letters, these, my kids are still growing. You know, my daughter's 19 now and my kids are still growing. So at the end of the day, it's like out of sight, out of mind when you're in prison, you know, yeah, you talk to him for that 20 minute phone call, but then you don't talk to them for a whole nother week or whatever. And that letter, you, they get a letter once a week or whatever. But after a while, come on, what kids is going to sit down and, you know, with technology, who's going to sit down and write a letter? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at the end of the day, that was my purpose for wanting to do all this is because I wasn't able to get there in the physical being to get to my son. And I'll always hold myself accountable for that. I'll always blame myself for not being there for my son, you know. So many people tell me, like, you know, you can't blame yourself for, you know, what happened to your son and the lifestyle that he, he he chose, the path. But at the end of the day, how I feel is, had I been a lawyer or a doctor, hell, a police officer, my son would have followed in them footsteps. Like, because at the end of the day, he felt like he had to gravitate towards gangs because his father started a gang that is still fully active right now. So how can I not blame myself as a father? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I think I think there's there's a lot to be said for you know the response that you have to how everything's played out. I mean, a, a lot of people, um, if they experience what you went through getting out of prison, uh, having your son get killed, just having the restraint um, to 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 not respond and uh, directing it into a positive area, I think you deserve credit for that big time. So. Can you talk about like some of the programs that you talk about mentorship? So mm-hmm. first of all, I guess, how do you reach out to people? How do you find at-risk youths and how do you, you know, get them into your program? Well, we start in the high schools, in the middle schools, and that's where we start from there because at the end of the day, you know, there's a lot of kids who really don't have nothing to do after school. And right now I'm teaching the program in school during uh, the last period of the day at Grand Beacon Middle School. Uh, I'm uh, an EAYD is the name of the program, Empower Youth Admission. And I I teach this program and it's basically a program for young boys of color. So Hispanics and uh, African-American young boys, we teach them respect, we teach them loyalty, we teach them honor, we teach them how to be young men and how to understand and allow the support that is around them and deal with it in their own way. But we start at a young age because at the end of the day, I believe if we instill these certain qualities and aspects inside these young men, that they will grow up and understand that, you know, even if they don't have their fathers in their lives, there are men around them who can mentor them, who can show them a better way, who can teach them how to be a young man. Where do you see this organization you know, five, 10 years down the line, what, what kind of impact do you, do you dream about having? Let's see. Wow. I've never really thought about that far down, but I guess for me, what I see coming out of this program is a lot of success stories because at the end of the day, I feel like my wife and I can relate to anybody that comes through that door on any level. And I also believe that, you know, it has to start here. It has to start. How could I not come out and want to give back to a community that I feel like I ruined, so to speak, if that makes any sense? Because, yeah, you know, I went to prison almost 15 years ago, but that's beside the point. You know, what happened is what happened. All lives were, you know, messed up because of it. And. I came out a better man because of this. I always tell myself, you know, what happened if I would have went to prison for a year or six months? Would I have changed into the man that I am today? And the question is no, because I wasn't ready to change. I knew that God had to sit me down for 10 plus years, 13 to be exact, for me to really get the picture of what's really going on and what needs to be done in our community. Granted, and it's unfortunate that my son was taken before all of this because I wish you could see me now. And this is why I continue to do it, because at the end of the day, I know what it's like. I've been there. I've done that. And I'm from the same streets. So in five years from now, honestly, I want us to we've been looking now, but I want us to have our own actual building because we have a building, but it's rented. But I want us to have our own actual a true change building and the after school programs, they're coming along. Uh, we're trying to get over in manual high school, try to get the after school programs over there and then Cole middle school. And these are the neighborhoods that I actually grew up in, which is why we're picking these uh, high schools and middle schools because I, they were my stumping grounds. I grew up down there. So how can I not want to get back to this community? So I would say that by the grace of God, I would hope that 10 years from now, we're still fully functioning and we've changed over a thousand lives. Plus that's my goal to be quite honest with you. That's awesome. Well, I, I wish, I wish you the best of luck with that. I do want to ask you just, uh, just one more question here. And it, I guess it's kind of backtracking a little bit, but I think it's important because, you know, I think a lot of people struggle with changing and you've really changed yourself as a person, you know, 180 degrees. And I think a lot of people struggle to change because they worry about 
what people are going to think of them. Will they lose friends or you know, how they're going to relate to uh, you know, even their family or people who've known them their whole lives. So you talked about um, when you were getting out of prison after your son's death, you know, people had their, their eyes on you. They were focused on you probably because, you know, like you said, they're waiting for you to do something, respond, and maybe they didn't trust you. Um, how, how long did it take to, to gain back that trust to really prove that, that you had changed? And, you know, what, what made that, uh, was there anything you did that kind of made that easier for, for people to, uh, you know, to, to trust you and, and understand that you truly were a changed man? Um, I think after the first year of me being out, there were so many people as in, and when I say people, I mean like ex gang member friends who expected me to come out and be, my moniker was t Row. So when I say t Row, this is who, who they know me as was t Row. Right now I'm Terrell because that's who I am. That's my government name. So the most people from my neighborhood, from that gang was like, uh, this ain't the person we knew. Like, what's up? When you want us to go do something for what happened to Junior? I'm like, man, leave that alone. Like, I've literally had to have conversations and meetings with certain individuals. Like, look, I can't change what happened. And what y'all plan on doing, that can't change either. I said, but at the end of the day, y'all grown men. I'm telling y'all not to do it. I'm telling y'all to stay focused. But at the end of the day, as a grown man, I can't stop them from doing what they probably already want to do anyway. So for me, it was like, I think it took, they realized that I was really, really on the straight and narrow because those that respected, they respect me doing, you know, motivational speakings. They respect me teaching these young kids. They respect me start my own business and my own nonprofit. They respect that. And they're like, well, hold on. We followed this man for years. So there's actually been men who have actually pulled themselves away from the gang life and are actually trying to do the things that I'm doing now and even willing to help me and volunteer with my own programs. These are the same men that we were in the same gang together. And now they realize like, okay, he's really, really, really out here on some change. And he went to prison for 13 years and he comes out and doing this surpassing so many people out here that have not even been to prison a day in their lives. So it took a while, but I have more people who are 100% behind me than there are those who are against me. So what I say for the men who are against me is they can watch my success from a distance. Like I don't need friends to succeed, if that makes any sense. Because at the end of the day, when I was locked up, all them homies, all them so-called gang member friends, were nowhere around. Did they, they didn't send me no money. Uh, they didn't send me no letters. They didn't come visit me. So what is the point of coming home to that of people who didn't even care about you when you left, if that makes any sense? So for me, I wash, <clears throat> I wash my hands with it. I gave it all away. Here, y'all can have that. So if it makes y'all feel better to be an OG from a gang, then you can have that. But again, those that don't like my success, you can watch it from a distance. And that's how I'm going to live the rest of my life out. And that, that goes. Perfect, and, that makes perfect sense. You're focusing and, on, you know, the people who supported you, the people, the people who matter. And uh, yes, sir. that's that's great. Yes, sir. I want to thank you for coming on the show, and just want to give you the opportunity to, uh, you know, impart impart any uh, lasting words of wisdom, or uh, you know, talk about anything else that you're working on that I that I didn't ask you about. Okay, so I guess uh, for me, within the two years that I've been out. Just a quick rundown. Um, again, I mentioned that I have my businesses. Grateful. I'm married. Lovely wife, Mrs. Keisha Burton. And we also have a bun in the oven. And my son is actually due on my birthday, May the 12th. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's just, I don't know. I guess the Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways because, you know, at the end of the day, he's blessed me with a great supportive family, supportive friends supportive and i always tell these young kids you know keep people around you who are willing to support you don't keep negative influence around you because misery loves company and that's what i tell them all the time because at the end of the day if you keep positive people around you you would guarantee get positive results so if i have anything to say to the the men the young men that are headed to prison Get in there, change your heart, change your mind, change your life. Because at the end of the day, we're all given a second chance. Who do you want to be when you come out? 
How do you want to give back to your community? Think about that, because at the end of the day, nothing's going to be handed to you. And for those young men that are going down the wrong path, find somebody to latch on to. That's very positive. There's so many people around you. All you got to do is pick one. But a closed mouth don't get fed. If you don't speak up, we'll never know that y'all need help. We can't just look at y'all and say, hey, you know, this young brother, this young sister look like they need help. Let me go ask them. Because at the end of the day, for the neighborhood from where I grew up at, we don't ask people for help. So at the end of the day, don't be afraid to ask people for help. And in closing, I just want to say, man, I'm, I'm grateful for my life. I'm grateful that God has given me a second chance. I'm grateful for my family. I'm grateful for the things that he had placed and instilled into my life and the things that he's going to continue to place into my life. I'm just thankful all the way around because had I not made that one decision in that food stamp office to take that flyer and figure out, OK, what is this upstream impact program about? then I don't think I'd be where I'm at here today, to be quite honest with you. And, and, and I mean, as far as my job goes and me being so focused on knowing that there are people out here that are very supportive because that program is amazing. Hands down. Hands down. Cross purpose is amazing. You know, if you're listening, check out the website, uh, Burton Welding and Fabrication. Uh, check out a uh, two chains, www.achuchange.org and see what we're actually out here doing because we're actually really really trying to make a difference. Uh, we're a new organization, but again, it's only up and forward from here. I will link to that, of course, on the show notes page. So you'll be able to uh, check out Terrell's work, uh, su- support his work. and Yes, please. And, and if there's anybody, I mean, at the end of the day, no nonprofit organization cannot run without donations. So at the end of the day, if you want to help, the smallest donation helps. It does not matter the size. It does not matter the amount. At the end of the day, it's all about giving back to the community. And you can find all that on my website with the link and everything as well. Absolutely, Terrell. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, sir. Thank you. Wow. What a show, guys. Another great guest. I want to thank Terrell Burden so much for coming on the show and sharing his story. I mean, you know, I, I say this all the time when uh, these people come on who have experienced uh, – and Terrell didn't experience injustice. He committed a crime. But the story with Terrell that is so impressive to me is how quickly, how quickly and how absolute he was able to make a change in his life to leave his past life behind as a gang member, as somebody who created a gang. He was the originator of the gang. And to leave that life behind and realize that he had to make a change. It's one thing to say you got to make a change. It's another thing to do it and deal with the consequences related to that change every single day. I'm sure there were consequences. I'm sure he lost friends. I'm sure people looked at him differently. I'm sure it was even a risk to his own life at some points. But he fought through it, and he's a better man for it, and he's doing great things. And he's reaching out, and he's helping, helping young people who are experiencing similar scenarios to his son, people who have seen uh, their parents uh, be locked away in prison. So tremendous story, tremendous story of a life change, a positive life change by Terrell Burton. So I don't have much else to say, guys. I got a, uh, I got to get up early tomorrow. I'm going to the Pennsylvania Leadership Conference in Harrisburg, PA. It's actually a conservative conference. This is maybe the first time that they've uh, invited libertarians. So excited to be there, excited to meet people, um, excited to reach out and talk to some like-minded criminal justice reform advocates from the right side of the aisle. You know, often on the show, I bring on a lot of people from the from the left. But I know um, actually one guy who's going to be there. I've already interviewed him. Uh, it's going to run in a couple of weeks here. But there are plenty of people um, from the right side, and they're going to be on this show here coming up soon, sharing what they are doing to expose injustice, to make uh, reentry more efficient and more just in itself so people can find success once they do get out of prison. Guys, please, if you enjoy this show, if you want to hear more content like this, consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. We have a bunch of different levels from 5 to 10 to 15 to 25, all the way up to 100 
that $100 level, technically it's full, but we might might consider taking um, other people. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. If you're interested, reach out to us. The $25 level, that is where you get your monthly conference call with us. You get all the other stuff. You get the bonus content. You get two free t-shirts. You get a koozie, secret Facebook group, the conference call, and our emails. You get Monday through Friday, our news link emails curated by the incredible Howie Snowden. I don't know how he has the time to put together this really, really intensive and widespread uh, list of emails from many, many different topics, from politics to cryptocurrency to foreign policy to criminal justice reform to culture to just mainstream media news. It really, if you're looking to get up to date on your media, this is the way to do it. Screw Drudge Report. This is the Libertarian Drudge Report. And the first level where you get that, where you get access to that, the lowest uh, payment amount, I should say, is $15 per month. So at 15 you will get access to that uh, to the Newslink emails. And the lowest level we have is $5. To get all of our great bonus content, all you got to give is $5 per month. You get Conspiracy Corner Roundtables. You get Degenerate Gamblers. You get bonus content. I have an interview with Adam Kokesh that will be airing in a couple weeks. I'm going to make that available early for you guys. Um, oftentimes, we have um, some bonus questions that we... Uh, ask for from our pride members and then we'll tack on uh the guests will do like 10 15 minutes of bonus time addressing those questions i had one a couple weeks ago with salvatore de janeiro fantastic pride episode if you haven't heard that one go back and check it out if you're in the pride if you're not you can join the pride today and still go back and listen to that episode so what a wonderful uh perk it is indeed Well, guys, that is all I have today. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.